Good morning, good afternoon. I'm Bill Connor, and if you're watching us here live today, you've obviously signed up on autovitals.com forward slash radio, and we'd like to thank you for joining live. We'd like to encourage you to chat in your questions as we go along. Um, this particular panelist, um, Adam, Adam Benzik, that I have here with me today from Pro Service Automotive Repair, and Uva Kleinsmith, Autovitals' very own Chief Innovation Offer Officer. Both these guys love to answer questions live. And today we're gonna to explore how Adam took his shop from $600,000 a year to $2.2 million a year when he transitioning to the digital shop. So there are three key phases that we wanna make sure we cover today and that's laying the foundation, adding new customers needed to fuel the large growth and also building a team culture to secure a strong future for the complete staff in the shop. So today's focus will be to define and measure process changes in these three key steps and also in a way that you can implement them in your shop. And we're gonna do this by using some data to develop strategies to stay ahead of the competition. So gentlemen, are you guys ready? Absolutely. Awesome. And great. So, so what I'd like to do, Uwe, is I'd like to go ahead and, and let you go ahead and start um, Adam off by getting him on, on the hot seat here and grilling him a little bit. And let's go ahead and start learning about his, his full journey and then we'll get into the digital shop journey if that's okay with both of you. Sure. Sounds good. So, I mean, I, I have always been super impressed, Adam, with your, from what I knew, actually, um, how you implemented everything in your shop. But it really came to light just this week when you told us the whole story, starting as a high school graduate. And I think this is, it is not um, uncommon. And so if you could spend the time to let us all start with you when you graduated from high school and, and then to, to today. And what I will do is I will put in the background for everybody to see a summary of the timeline and feel free to uh, use um, information of that. But we will in the second part really dive into every single phase. So Adam, it's a, an, an immense uh, pleasure and honor to have you on. Uh, your story is highly um, inspiring, I have to tell you. I appreciate that very much and glad to be back. And uh, hopefully some of the stuff will kind of share like our story as a shop and my story as a shop. and. Um, so many others can relate to it out there and and we're all kind of maybe starting the same boat or maybe it's a little bit different in the way we got into this industry but no matter what we can all learn from each other no matter where we came from so how did it all get started yeah so basically um started the business in 2002 uh i was you know went to new prairie high school in minnesota as a senior in 2002 and graduated that year. And uh, prior to that, my family owned a farm equipment business. Um, it was my grandpa, then it turned into my dad owned it. And basically there was a transitional period around our area where far the farming industry just kind of was starting to go down and we needed to transition into something else. Um, some financial trouble that I'm not gonna get into at, you know, at that time frame, but in essence, 
I learned a lot from those past experiences to then create our own shop. And my dad was involved in it right away. Um, everything was kind of in my name as far as that goes, but we did it together initially. Um, just it was survival mode right away. Um, and that's the first phase that we kind of highlighted as the survival mode part of it, where you're going from no revenue whatsoever to trying to establish a business and roles and, you know, organize the chaos as you have noted on there. Um, and what we were um, kind of still, but not quite as much anymore is we took in anything, you know, never said no to no matter what the job was um, in our pre-show meeting, that, you know, the two of us had, or the three of us had together, you know, Bill had mentioned uh, about within reason, you know, as far as like jobs go and, you know, you don't want to let the customer force you into a discount or this and that. And although that's our mindset now, um, initially we were absolutely like this job taking it in is the difference of maybe I'm going to have some money to spend this weekend and go out to eat or, you know, grocery wise and stuff like that. I mean, we started from nothing. So our business was developed off a truck loan for 3,500 bucks off a truck that I owned. And then um, we put $2,500 straight towards our first month's down payment rent. So we had a thousand dollars of working capital to use to start this business. And when you're put in that position, it's almost like your back's against the wall right away because you don't have a lot of overhead. So if if it's Monday and there's nothing on schedule and there's Tuesdays that are not on the schedule, when Wednesday comes by, even if that job isn't extremely profitable, it might mean that you know we at least made a little bit of money this week. And that's 100% how we started. Um, I didn't come from a you know, had a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank to hire other employees um, to help you with stuff. It was just, it was just my dad and myself and we had to uh, survive that first portion of it. And I think there's probably a lot of other shops that are, have been in that position where, you know, cookie cutter would say, okay, let's hire a service visor, let's hire a tech. And all of a sudden we're going to have all this revenue coming in, but it, it doesn't often start that way. And, and you think you want to um, add these other people, but you might not afford to. So you take all those responsibilities on yourself. So as I reflect upon how we first started, um, our biggest thing was organizing the chaos, establishing defined roles, um, and all those types of things along the way was that first six years. I wish I could condense it into six months, <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, there was six years of really tough, trying times of gosh, you know, you're just trying to get your feet off the ground and, 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 uh, and develop a revenue stream and a customer base and everything like that. Um, so, you know, part of what we transitioned to over the six years was setting goals for ourselves, establishing roles, um, knowing that how much do we need to make per year to cover our expenses, breaking that down to a month and then breaking that down to a day of what you need to make. And, and that was that, that time frame there. After that, when we went into phase two is when things started to kind of click a bit. So as we got into phase two, um, reflected upon what worked well in the first phase, and there was a lot of things that didn't. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't have um, proper parts margins. There was some things like a set of brake pads we were marking up five or 10 bucks, you know, like that type, type of thing, and just not making smart decisions with that stuff where instead of wowing the customer on service, our like mindset was, Hey, let's, uh, 
you know, let's give them a better deal than the shop in town, the next shop in town or whatever it might be. And all we were doing is like killing ourselves and kind of not really helping the industry as a whole because we shouldn't be devaluing our service. So we had to work through that for the first five, six years and start to understand that we can't just focus on being cheaper. We got to wow our customers with the service level and the care effect that we have. And then in some ways, in order to do that, you have to make more revenue so you can start adding things like a coffee thing up in the front waiting room or loaner cars that are free or whatever it might be like that stuff all costs money. And if you don't have the revenue to support it, you can't start, you can't provide those things. So what we're doing in that second phase is really reflecting on upon what worked well. Um, and what ended up happening was I actually got out of business um, with my dad and my brother at that time, because we just had different mindsets of where our business was going to go and different things like revenue and this and that um, parts margins. We just didn't agree on that type of thing. And for me, it wasn't about totally increasing cost to our customers. It was about really um, providing a better service and then, you know, looking at our future, I don't want to work for 90 hours a week to make $25,000 a year, you know, kind of thing. I mean, you really have to kind of start weighing out those types of things. So that was kind of that second phase was reflect on the first part. And we really changed parts margins and started charging shop supplies and, and different things like that. So you went from survival to swapping dollars and then you discovered you really needed to make a profit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like we kind of talked about on Monday, um, the pre-show was, was, gosh, I wish I could condense that six years to six months. And, and, uh, but you know, it's, it's what brought me to where we are today. You know, when your back's against the wall, you really have to fight for your business and fight for your life and those things. And that attitude that I have now has never really changed. And it's the same type of attitude. I'm not ever going to, um, be one to just kind of sit on the sidelines and, have like this team that I'm not involved in on pretty much a day-to-day basis because you know you when you when you go from having to start a business like that to then growing to a couple million dollar sales revenue shop a year like my my in my head we're still back in 2002 and like fighting scratching this and that to be the best and that attitude has never changed so I'm never going to be one that has three, four shops and sitting on the sidelines. And, you know, I was never in that position um, to just be an owner. So I'm developing more owner traits and letting and delegating responsibility, but uh, it's, it's kind of not really in my DNA to just be that owner that (laughs) oversees everything and didn't actually kind of fight in the trenches, kind of growing up and, you know, building your business. So but yeah, and that second phase um, is just basically going through it works well. Uh, we started doing actually inspections. Um, Nick, who is at my shop now, and he's been, you know, the most important thing from a business aspect um, along this way is, is bringing him on and completely a godsend to our business is he worked at Firestone before he came here and they did inspections and it was just a standard paper inspection, um, marking things off, you know, just by hand and everything. And we incorporated that into our business. And uh, then things started to kind of take off by just doing inspections. Then once you start adding digital inspections and transparency and this and that, that's kind of that next leap of faith moment where you start really investing into your business, where 
it might be marketing or whatever it might be. So for us was um, a big investment to a small shop is Auto Vitals, you know, between training your se- training your team and um, buying tablets and investing into, gosh, should I do a monthly plan or should I pay the whole year in advance because you get a better rate and everything like that. Like all those little things, you know, when you break it down for cost wise, it's all an investment. And it's absolutely a worth, worthwhile investment after it's all said and done. But it, it is a leap of faith for a small business doing $300,000 in revenue to, gosh, should we add a website and this and that and spend, you know, $1,000 plus doing it a month, you know, that it is a hefty investment for a smaller business. But it's also what jump started a lot of things for us and where we really started to grow our revenue. So um, as far as that first real business leap of faith, it was Auto Vitals was in that time frame in 2015. Um, and with doing that, we kind of made a sheet that shows like our sales and things that we were tracking before that we weren't tracking before. So we were in quick with QuickBooks and just really standardized accounting software in 2019 and 2012. And then in 2013 to 2018, we started using our writer and things like effective labor rate mattered. And when we first went into it, I'm like, wow, our effective labor rate is like $52. Like that's, you know, you feel like your labor rates, $85 an hour at the time, which was probably, you, start, probably you started finding out what you didn't know and what you find out what you didn't know. And you're like, Oh my God, like it's not even, we're not really making $85 an hour, we're actually making $52 an hour. So, you know, when you start getting in these things like auto vitals and RO writer, you know, they're all an investment, but they're also tools to say, what are you not doing very well? And what do you really need to work on? Um, and all those things. So when we went to our writers, it, it was like, effective labor rate went from 52 to 54 to 57, then to $65 an hour, then to $75 an hour. So you start really focusing on these little pieces and then you start seeing your revenue really jump up. So um, that starting to track data um, more than, so like in our first period of business in that first phase, I just had a monthly bill list that was like rent and salaries and garbage disposal and merchant account fees or whatever it might be and as we paid them off i just checked off like just scratched out okay that bill's done for the for the month okay we're good now let's focus on making a little bit more and like that initially was fifteen thousand dollars a month was what we're trying to do in sales revenue well then it turned into 20 and then you know you start adding these other things like auto vitals and okay let's add a thousand dollars or whatever it might be to our monthly budget and like those were the thing those are the things that i did was just scratch it off as it came across um, but then once you start really looking at the business of auto repair and the KPIs, so to speak, um, of effective labor rate and ARO and this and that, that's, I mean, the lifeblood of knowing what you're doing and more than just, more than just running a, um, personal budget, so to speak, like at home, like, okay, I got my paycheck for whatever it is. And now my mortgage is paid and my electric bill is paid and this and that, like instead of running it like a personal business, now it's like, no, we'd really need to run it like a business and really start crunching numbers. Cause if we're going to, you know, if we're going to build the business, we need to know that information. So, so that was a big transition in that 2013 and 2016 phase, investing in the company and tracking data. Um, in 2017 was absolutely the, 
biggest leap of faith we've ever made in business is uh, we're getting to the point of where we're just our our customers coming in and the amount of people that we could hire, you know, and everything. Like we were always hiring better people um, and not necessarily increasing quantity of people. Um, it was okay. We can afford this level of talent right now, and with what we could afford, it it was kind of some of the job jumpers that you know you get. Everybody businesses these days get resumes that you look at them and it's like, oh my god, that person's worked for three different places for the past year. What makes me think that this is going to be like the savior employee that I'm going to hire and they're going to be with me for ten years? It's just it's not going to happen. You know, you just you have those people come through, but when you can't afford the better talent, unfortunately, those, that's kind of the price bracket that we are in. So, you know, we're getting some technicians that we had to pay attention to more, you know, Nick and I were controlling quality control and all those things. So the product out the door was good, but it was really stressful on us because we were really having to like watch everybody along the way. Um, and then as we start growing revenue, we didn't increase you know, amount of people. We just were, some people came and went and we hired a better person and a better person, a better person to the team that we have today, which um, I would say it's not trying to brag or anything like that, but I, I have every confidence in, in our team's ability that we're as good as any team across the country. You know, it just, and there's a lot of great shops out there and that's no disrespect to anybody else, but it's just a matter of that's what I feel like we've grown today. Um, but it's taken steps along the way. So in 2017, um, once we got to that point and we had a solid foundation of three technicians in the back and then myself as a service advisor, we moved into our new location. And we would have either had to rent a bigger place or put up our own building or do something because we couldn't, we just couldn't grow any bigger in our in our current facility as a four bay shop and it wasn't set up the best, the most efficient, and we had to make a change. But with that change is that leap of faith where, okay, now this is a big mortgage payment. This is so substantially more investment into our shop. Are we ready for it? Do we want to grow that, grow that big? So um, for us, we did, you know, we took that leap, leap of faith, but for another shop, they might've just said, no, our, our business is big enough. Let's start investing into digital marketing or direct mail or whatever it might be like, that's a decision that the individual shop has to make. But for us, we had to move. So moved in a bigger location, ended up hiring more, uh, more people, better people. And then um, really started to, you know, hone in on the BCP metrics and the point of sale and everything like that. So, so this is the phase where you got all your processes, procedures documented, all your, all your ducks in a row, so to say. And yeah. then you started adding, more high quality fuel to your machine that you had running. Absolutely, for sure. One of the most interesting things is I reflect back on it. Um, and I think this is one thing that Uva appreciates because of, because it wouldn't be possible without some of the tools that we have like auto vitals and, and tiles and, you know, workflow phases and everything like that is in 2012 or going back to even 2010, we had one service visor and two technicians um, and we're doing, $400,000 in sales at that time frame. Today, we're doing over $2 million and we have an, a service advisor, a production manager, and four techs. So we added three people and we went from $400,000 to over $2 million. And that's simply not possible 
with the way that we were doing things in 2010 with paper work orders and the paper shuffle, the walking back and forth, the, hey, what's going on with that vehicle? Can you write it down on a paper work order? And then I'm going to type it in our point of sale system, like all those things that you did along the way, like it just wouldn't be possible. So a 60 second walk from the back shop to the front shop or vice versa, all those things just add up to hour, an hour and a half a day um, of time frame. So when you think about that, we, we multiplied our sales revenue by five times at that time frame, but only maybe doubled the team. It's crazy to think about. I would even say, I, I have never heard of a small business where this is possible, right? Where you invest in structure and process and tools and mm -hmm. team. And, and create that kind of growth per employee. I mean, that's- So the more interesting thing to me is, is that there's other people in the digital shop environment that have a, a very similar story to, to Adam. They might not have started from the, the zero line, but they've all went through the journey and you know, ha they have similar results. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. And it's, it goes to prove when, you, when you've got a dialed in, tried and true process, that others can use and duplicate, learn from, um, you know, that's a, a great, great way to look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, so I feel like it's a shop culture surrounded by people that have the same mindset is don't worry, I'll get it done. Uh, yeah. You can give that to me. I'll get it done. Like, yeah, I know I got six vehicles on my schedule. Um, me and Ronnie will help you know, we'll get, we'll get through it. You know, it, it's just like, that's the mindset is we'll get through it. Don't worry. We'll get it done. Whereas if I told you five or six years ago, you know, like we, we had great people from a personality standpoint and um, work ethic and everything like that. Just a matter of, you know, like the quality of our, of our, of our work out the door and the experience that the customer has had, I don't think it's changed. You know, I think, I think if anything, it's gotten better. Um, but the volume and the efficiency level of the team and back and how well they work together is second to none. Like there's, a, there's no way that um, we could do that without their work ethic. Like even if I re, you know, went back six, seven years and had that team compared to today, I just don't think it's possible for us to have done that. Um, it's all an individual motivation. And, you know, some of the guys in back, um, one of our guys in particular, his, his dad owns a shop. He's been involved with that shop. Um, he's, he doesn't work there, obviously he works here, but nonetheless, like he grew up around that. So his work ethic is let's just get it knocked out, get it done. One of our other guys, um, his dad was a farmer, you know, and kudos to them because when you're out there bailing hay in hundred degree weather and this and that, you learn how to work hard pretty, pretty well. Well, their, their deal is, is like, are they, supermen no they just know that i can't screw around on my cell phone or i can't be looking at facebook or i can't take a 20 minute bathroom break or whatever it might be like they they just know they got to get the jobs done there's days where it's not as busy as others and yeah you can kind of let yourself slack off a little bit but nonetheless um it's just this is not possible without the team up front that we have and how well they are at scheduling and keeping things efficient and then the team in the back working together with that. So it's truly a pleasure to work with them. Yeah, and 
you know, the ability to find them and attract them to your business, that, that's, you know, no tool can do that for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a good transition point in that fifth phase. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's, that's where we're at right now is like, you know, you grow the business and you do those things along the way um, to get to this point. But then the toughest thing is like when you have great employees and they move to Tennessee or whatever it might be, which we had, you know, happened before, um, you know, just life happens and you have to roll with the punches of that, so to speak. So now it's a extreme focus on employee retainment. Um, some of the best compliments that I feel like, and really makes me feel good about our business is when um, one of our guys in back right now, he planned on moving after his kids um, graduated high school, which is his last kid as a senior in high school this year. Um, they planned on moving down south, like Arizona, Texas area, that type of thing. Um, and no, John, he's not eligible for hire because he's <laughs> actually <laughs> wants to move um, closer just because how much he loves it here. His wife's job, he, she could work anywhere, you know, can do it from home and everything. But they're actually looking at um, houses, houses in Prior Lake area just because of, hey, I found my forever home and like that is so special to me um because you know you get to a point where i i feel i'm totally comfortable with the revenue that the shop is making and um my work-life balance is getting better and i want those same things for our staff and i really want them to understand how much they're they mean to us and um and feel the same way as like hey i don't there's nowhere i could go that has better work conditions you know i work in air conditioning right now that doesn't happen at very many shops throughout the country, let alone Minnesota. You know, it's, it, we have a cold season that's nobody touches air conditioning for seven or eight months out of the year, but our summers are humid and sweaty and it sucks to be in back. <laughs> so things like that are perks where do I necessarily gain anything from it? Working up front in the office and talking to customers or doing bills? No, I don't. Cause I'm already working in, in that type of air conditioned environment, but would would I be very good at my job if I didn't think about the guys in back that are sweating their butts off? <laughs> no, like I think that that stuff is really important. So our focus is definitely on employee retainment. Compensation is, is part of it, but it doesn't mean everything for everybody. Things like air conditioning could be the difference of some person coming to our shop or, or another one. So um, it's really kind of looking at, at those things as a whole. So when you talk about extreme focus on employee retainment, you're really talking about the things that if another shop approaches one of your employees and says, would you come to work for me? You're talking about a list of things that would make them go ahead and say, no, I wouldn't entertain that for any reason at all because I've got this, 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 and this. And so the things you use for retainment are also the same tools you're going to use for recruitment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, it's uh so we're at vision before COVID um, happened in 2020 or whatever, we had the vision conference and went through there. And one of um, our most important or our most important guy was approached by another place to come work there. And he's like, what would it take there? And his reaction was like, it's not, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. I have it. You know, I make, there's no way it just, it's just not, you're not going to be able to do it. So then, they kind of throw it out. Well, what if I paid you this much? And it was like, 
it's just not going to happen. So those types of things, like I don't, it's not a brag thing, but I'm happy that we're able to provide um, enough things that our employees would legitimately would be like actually like upset that somebody a competitor of ours could think that they could just steal an employee away you know like where they are really that bound into our our company or our culture or whatever it might be or or things are good that they feel that way so um not that we're never going to lose an employee or whatever it might be because there's always those things that happen but i real really feel good that we're making progress to to really i don't know change people's lives so to speak um to john long's credit and because i know he's listening is uh we were talking either last weekend or the weekend before or something like that and um he had told me and I'm, i don't think he's going to care with me sharing this is that his goal for himself and business wise is to employ like 100 employees not because that he's going to make more money for a shop or for himself or for a shop or whatever it might be but that he feels like he can impact 100 people's lives um with giving them a job and having an employer that cares about them, that makes breakfast for them and makes lunch and this and that, and truly feel like you're making a difference within your community and other people's lives. And that's definitely my focus right now is um, how can we make things better for other people? Cause I feel like I've been blessed with where we were back in 2002 to today. And um, I think it's, it's definitely my duty to um, keep on improving things for other people whether it be that that be in our community or that be just within our shop and what we can do in, in each individual employee's lives awesome um there's one question by jen uh, before we go into more details on the faces and she said what's your effective labor rate now if you don't mind sharing yeah for sure um so we're just up over this year like in 102 dollars so our base labor rate out the door, posted labor rate, I guess you could say is 114.98. And we're at like 102 and 30 cents or something like that. Um, that does include where we are. So one thing to clarify is um, we do pay inspections for our, like we were on a flat rate system and this year we're, we're doing kind of a team structure to see how everything kind of ends up working out, but we're still, giving time frame to the technicians the same way as we were before, just so we can kind of track their efficiencies like we were, we were back then. Um, but basically we, they get a quarter hour for every inspection. It's not a paid inspection from a customer. It just that stuff does factor into it. So that's everything out the door where I know some shops will have their techs do a, uh, an inspection, but it'll just be zero hours. You know, it does include that stuff. And that kind of really mask what's going on in the shop. So I, I really like shops that actually, you know, put the time on there, track it, and, you know, they they use that in all their calculations, just like those that have a tendency to say, I don't want to include any repair order that's under a certain amount or whatever the case can be. They're just um, kind of masking things a bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so two big things for us were effective labor rate and then hours per RO. You know, those things were really kind of helped uh, as we we're increasing sales volume and revenue-wise is when those two things went up sales arrow everything went up so not that it's the key component that you should look at but if if one piece of the puzzle is down it usually affects every other piece so if you even just look in 
harness in on just one or two things, everything else goes with it. We have another question. Carlos is asking where exactly are you located in um, Minnesota? Yeah, so our city is Prior Lake, Minnesota. Um, from the Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, we're about 25 miles south of there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so would you would you call that like the average city? It's not a really high dollar city. It's not you know something that's you know depressed and down like downtown Chicago. You know this yeah. is like average city USA. Yeah, I think so. Um, so so I don't give you a miss accurate or incorrect data. I'm actually looking at uh, prior. In other words, somebody should be able to duplicate your journey no matter where they live is what I'm looking right. for. So our population is 26,365 people. So it's not huge city. It's not, you know, totally small. Like, at, you know, New Prague, we grew up and it was like 6,000 people there when I was growing up. Um, those things are smaller volume of people but then there's typically less auto repair shops i mean you come here there's probably 15 or 20 auto repair shops within a three mile radius um that are all solid shops like without a doubt not taking anything away from our competitors because there's good shops in this town um and then if you go through savage and burnsville are, are bigger cities where I don't know, there's probably 80 to 100,000 people in those particular cities. They're only five minutes away from us. So there's a lot of options in this area for people to go to different shops. So if you transition your focus from more or less moving customers through like herding sheep, you know, to correlate your farming attitude to going ahead and, and delivering a, a quality product to everybody that walks through your door? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> one thing I made a note for myself is uh, when getting bigger, um, customers start thinking like you're a chain store. And I can't tell you how, like, we just got a review that somebody referred to us as like a chain store again, you know, and we get most of our reviews are really good. And people will say, oh, for a chain store, I really got great service. <laughs> it's like, gosh, like, like, it's almost like, you know, you expect from a chain store that you wouldn't potentially get great service. And for me, like we aren't a chain store at this moment in time, we probably will have multiple locations in the future and we're just not there quite yet. Um, but nonetheless, people still have that perception that we are. And I don't want to have two or three or four stores and then all of a sudden think that we're a chain store and the service drops off. So I feel like that's the team that you hire at each individual place. And, you know, you can hire lower dollar talent or you can hire higher dollar talent and treat them. Really I, look, well. I look at what they said as a compliment for a different reason. I like it because they're telling you that your process is the same every time they come in, no matter who they refer to you. So you know, they're defining as a chain store, but they're really telling you that you're doing a damn good job making that experience the same for everybody that comes through the door. Yeah, prob Bill. probably, but I, I would also say that there's a lot just, of- Just say thank you for the compliment, it's okay. <laughs> I know, but I'm, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing there's a lot of chain stores that don't have the same process every single store. And I know, bet they're supposed right. to. Yeah, right. they're absolutely supposed to. It just, as you start branching out, it's harder to- be involved on the day-to-day -day process you know when i first started i was the service advisor that talked to every single customer now i don't do that so in order for our customers to have the same experience 
our current service advisor and sales team have to have the same kind of mindset and things that they value, which I do believe they I believe they do because I feel like people do have as good of experience. So sometimes that doesn't happen at every chain store, so to speak, that, you know, you go to. Adam, I just looked up Prior Lake also uh, to add a few more numbers. Mm -hmm. You guys are a pretty young uh, community. Median resident age is 40 years. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was some there was some growth involved also. So the median household income in two thousand was seventy five thousand. It's now one hundred and sixteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's that's so so you seem to be in a you know growing prospering um, town or area. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Yeah. One of the great things about Prairie Lake is like my New Prague roots, so to speak and you know where people knew each other um everybody kind of knew everybody kind of thing it's still kind of that same way in prayer lake because of the community involvement and different things that we have between our chamber of commerce and events that are within the community like it feels this even though the the city is a lot bigger than new prague was um the feel of just the community interaction everything is the same um as far as you know household incomes and everything like that i think that this is an area where you know, you can't just completely charge whatever you want and be like way overpriced or anything like that. But at the same time, um, people will pay $25 more for a break job over, you know, the other place if they feel like they're treated differently. You know, it isn't so price conscious, so to speak, where, you know, you can provide a, a higher level of service and then still not feel like people are going to really be upset about the pricing structure and that, that's really good because you're after the value conscious customer anyways you're not i mean that's the the best customer to go ahead and have you get on the ultra high end of the scale then um you know sometimes they're swapping cars every couple of years and it doesn't do any good so you've yeah. got a good sweet spot and if they're trending upwards that means you know continue to deliver a higher value and then don't be afraid to go and charge for it yeah so that's sure. a good place that's to be in and so, back so to I, I, phase oh, one, you know, just to reiterate um, what Bill had mentioned when we we're kind of in the pre-show meeting and everything like that, like he's 100% spot on um, in today's day and age for where we're at with our shop. You know, our pricing structure is, is this is what it kind of is. Not that we don't have any discounts or anything like that or run specials or whatever it might be, but nonetheless, it's not allowing the customer to just like, oh, that's going to be 500 bucks. I'm only going to do it if it's 300 <laughs> and then you're you know you're put into a position where you have to like accommodate in those situations it's like you know you explain the value and everything like that and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but um nonetheless like we are in a different pos position right now to accept and decline jobs um, based off of those types of things um there's another question dave is asking your average weekly call count now oh yeah so we're about 85 cars a week now. Okay. So, yep. So before we go into more numbers, there's one thing we haven't even mentioned, you know, you also develop personally, right? So you got a beautiful family. How, how did that factor in, in this whole thing? Oh man, it was, if, if I of, may ask. Yeah, for sure. Um, time that was the scariest part. <laughs> yeah. Um, timing wise has been great with that. Um, 
my wife from day one has been awesome with this. Like her involvement in the business kind of started when um, my dad and my brother were no longer involved in the shop. So that like female presence, I guess you could say, from a customer interaction standpoint, she wasn't there every single day, but when she was like, people really loved talking to her. Um, but then the other pieces of it, like decorating the waiting room, you know, which I was terrible at, like all those other parts that really make a business whole, she was able to fill in. Um, so that was awesome. She was actually first person that read about auto vitals on Ratchet and Wrench and said, Hey, we should look into this company. Um, I think this would be great. And she kind of started that process. So credit where credit is due. Um, that was her initial idea. We were doing inspections and we just weren't doing them digitally. And that kind of obviously changed a lot of things. Um, as far as our kids now, I have a five-year-old Mika. She is, you know, my special little girl kind of thing. Father daughter relationship is second to none. And then we have Weston who's three. Um, and, when we first had Mika, we were just, we, she was a year old when we transitioned to our new building. So um, without, you know, Stacy's help and taking care of the kids at home and everything like that would have been really, really difficult. Um, so, you know, transitional period wise is, it felt like we kind of waited on making our own little family whole, so to speak, and having kids until we we're a little bit more solid within the business. I don't know if I'd go back you know, could go back and change anything if it would affect a business or not. But it certainly has helped that we're at the point at which we are today that I can probably be a better dad than what I would have been 10 years ago, you know, in the hours that we we're putting in. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, let, let's, let's check the time. We have like 15 minutes left, Bill. I would love if you guys don't mind go into... Um, the leap of faith to growth phase and, and talk about especially if we don't have much time about how workflow helped you create the process or how workflow supported the process you already created and and because if I look at the numbers Bill do you want me to share them again um, I got it it looks it, it looks like the biggest jump basically happened between 15 and 17, right? So there was a there was a, an, an awesome growth before, but but there was kind of a jump. And of course, being me, I I would say it ha it has to do with outer vitals. But um, if, if you could talk about what especially for our um, listeners who are still, you know, focusing only on digital inspection, our tool or another, and, and, and not doing workflow so much um, because it's a change in process. Um, that would be nice if you could, you know, outline how, how that happened in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Um, so pre auto vitals, you know, pre 2015, um, it was printed work orders with details about what they needed, you know, what we needed to check in a vehicle, what we needed to do. And it was put in a binder and, and, you know, dispatch the technician and just like a folder on the wall kind of thing. Um, and notes went back and forth with handwritten notes and such. And we were using our writer at the time. 
Then we switched into used, or not switched, we added Auto Vitals as an inspection process. So now, you know, Auto Vitals and our writer integrated with each other. So we didn't have to use the paperwork orders and such. They could just have all the jobs in their tablet. Um, however, what ended up happening is like, you know, we had these inspections and we had um, piles of notes and pictures and everything like that. And I wasn't estimating every single job from the inspection. Um, with our writer system, it's kind of cumbersome, nothing against that, but it's kind of cumbersome in comparison to what we're using now, as far as like adding jobs and all those things. Um, Auto Vitals ended up making, streamlining that process a little bit with the update work order button, um, where it was kind of like a widget, so to speak, I, is the best way that I could probably describe it, right. where, you, mm -hmm. where you hit a button and then all of a sudden it didn't just come right over like Protractor does now. It would just do the process and you'd see things moving on the screen and you know, <laughs> all of a sudden here's this work, which made it faster, but it's the computer system still had to do all of those steps. So sometimes updating the work order would take 25 or 30 seconds. You know, and now with Protractor, I mean, it happens in five to 10 seconds at the most. So we started to, like what AutoVitals really helped us with the streamlining the process of now we can really be efficient with estimating every single job from the inspection and presenting all of that to the customer. Um, and now with Protractor, it's made it that much smoother where it's easier to estimate the jobs for the customer and get all that work out there. Um, there's, you know, you can't, whatever that whole cliche quote is about you miss every shot that you don't take or whatever it might be, you know, that's hundred percent what inspections are is you have to get all that stuff over to the work order, present it to the customer, estimate it in, estimate it in detail with pricing and how long it's going to take to get parts from vendors. And with our old point of sale system, um, that was not very easy to do <laughs> when you start having four technicians in the back that are all doing inspections a hundred percent of the time. Like there's a lot of steps there. And then you mm -hmm. have one service advisor and actually two service advisors that are individually not working as a team with a production manager and service advisor. We, we were separate at the time. So um, it was a big, big transition, I guess you could say was how we got the inspection points in the customer's hands as far as like dollars and cents. So, so how did it work from a, you know, there's always a rush and, and now you have to estimate more that's a time investment and you have to present it to the customer. That's not only a time investment. That's also something where you, where you could create, you know, I didn't come in for this. Why are you telling me this kind of a potential hurdle? Right. Mm -hmm. And how did you overcome both the, additional time and then maybe a potential customer perception trying to sell them more. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, so best way of doing it would be like once the customers at check-in is saying, Hey, with your oil change day, we're going to be doing digital inspection. Once that's completed, we'll be going through with you and giving a heads up on, you know, that leading up to it. Um, can I say that we're perfect with that? Absolutely not. You know, I'm not perfect with it. Even when I was working as a service advisor, I, I didn't always take that couple minutes potentially to explain the process every single time a customer went through the door. So to now expect our team to do it, I, you know, it wouldn't be a very good boss if I was that way. Instead, what we end up doing is our customers are kind of conditioned into it now 
they expect it. They kind of know that, hey, when I go in for an oil change, this is why I want to go to pro services because of how thorough they are with inspection. So most of our customers these days anticipate that that's coming. Um, John, our service advisor, does a really good job of saying, hey, you know, Andy's, you know, just about finished up the oil change. Um, he went through, he's got the inspection. Would you mind if I go through that with you? And then, you know, most of the people are not going to object to learning about the vehicle. And then he's also very good about, this is just information. I just want to kind of give you a heads up as to what things are needed, what things are good, what things are potentially needed for future service or today's service, and then just make a decision, uh, help them make a decision as opposed mm -hmm. to, hey, I'm trying to sell you this stuff. And there's a big difference there. And, and how about the additional time investment? Does it, uh, how was that transition? Because it's, I assume your product production managers also estimate uh, building estimates yep. or is it? Yep. Production so, managers so, building all estimates. Yep. So you, you took that away from the service advisor so they can have more time to present yes. to, to the customer. I see. So you invested consciously in additional um, head, so to speak, mm -hmm. specialized on building estimates and dispatching tax. Is that correct? For us, it wasn't an extra head, so to speak. It I was see. a defined role. So, you know, kind of reflection upon what's working, what's not. And all of those individual steps that we were, like Nick and I were each individual service advisors, not working together per se. We had a couple mm -hmm. technicians assigned to each of us. So instead of doing that, we transitioned into where he was the production manager. Um, I was a service advisor and he built all the estimates and controlled all the workflow. And I just uh, talked to the customers. Mm -hmm. and, you, know, so you put the right button, the right seat is what you did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was a transition for us there. And Nick is awesome with that. Like he's still our production manager right now. And, uh, you know, controlling flow wise, schedule wise, estimating jobs, like he does a great job with that. And then, um, John is really great at talking with customers. So it was, a uh, really pretty easy smooth transition for them to working together that way um, to have that be a separated role it does sometimes come with its share of differences between the old process um, because, and the only reason that is is because there's just a handoff that ends up happening where if i'm building an estimate and then i'm editing inspection or editing inspection and building an estimate and sending it to the customer whatever like all those things you know bang 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 because i'm the one that's solely doing it where now if you have a production manager that's editing inspection building an estimate there has to be a handoff there someplace so where does that handoff happen how long does it take you know in between what's the communication level those are the only hurdles so to speak of having it as separate roles do you find having the production manager takes the emotion of pricing away from the person that's actually getting the approval from the customer probably yeah um it's if you what's the best way to say this is i worked in the bag as a technician and Nick worked at the back as a tech before we turned kind of service visors. For me, it was service visor technician at the same time. For Nick, it was just technician then turned service visor. And when you work in the back and you think about how long a job is going to take and, you know, pricing and everything like that, all of a sudden you're like, gosh, like $1,000 for that job. It seems kind of expensive. So I, I could probably shave a little time here and there, do it for 925, you know, or something like that. So you start 
kind of knowing the job and, you know, and then you start getting a little bit more price conscious where if you have a service visor, um, John is, is, is uh, different than your average service visor where he does have a fair amount of mechanical knowledge, um, but not working in the back tech experience. So for him, he doesn't look at $1,500 as too expensive for that job or potentially too expensive or anything like that and think he should make it 1400 he looks at it as like 1500, you know, I'll estimate it at 1600. So I have like a little buffer here in case something happens mm -hmm. and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect his mindset going into it um, because he, he doesn't have, and probably doesn't want to have the tech experience knowledge in the back to, to influence the pricing structure that he's talking to the customer about. Do your service writers and your dispatchers, they use the technician view to understand you know, the, the load as it goes through the shop, you know, how much can I squeeze in here and there and so on? Um, <laughs> we don't use tech view at all. <laughs> so you just off of the workflow? We go, we go off workflow and then we have our separate scheduler. Um, it's been kind of a hot button topic over the last five, six plus years or so um, within trying to make something work that works for several different shops, but we're still, we use our Google calendar. Um, we can block out time, stretch, shrink it, depending on how things are, are flowing and working. And um, we feel it's more customizable for our shop to know when things are going to happen, when things should be done. Um, it gives you the customization to say, I know that says five hours book time, but our guy's probably going to take three um, just because he's done them how many times before and we know how long it's going to take or potentially that's a five-hour job that might take six or whatever it might be. So we're, we feel it's a little bit more customizable to, you know, use the Google calendar at this moment in time. So that's, if I may, right, that's the next frontier to me. Um, right? Tech view is great for the particular day, but not for any day later. And yeah. so Ad, Adam is one of those shops who would like to extend the scope. And, and for me, the opportunity is, if Adam doesn't use TechView nor the protractor schedule, <laughs> but Google Calendar, right? That's a huge opportunity for us to build a scheduler, which goes on out into the future. Yep. It's like the dumbest thing for me ever that we have to duplicate notes in Google Calendar. And it's right. like, if there's anything that's efficient, inefficient with our process right now is having to duplicate it in the Google right. Calendar. However, we feel we are so much more efficient because we track time that way, um, that it's worth the loss, you know, trade-off kind of thing. Yeah, do, you feel with the, do you feel with the shortage of technicians and, and that we're going through now, that's probably not going to change for a long time, that scheduling weeks and months in advance is going to really be something that everybody has to look at versus, you know, just hand, handling whoever happens to walk through the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really, it, it's one thing that like bothered me right now, just because of the customer service end is like, gosh, I want to, I want to take care of your issue right away. And I want to get you in today and get it taken care of. Cause that's when you want, like, it's, <laughs> it makes my mind explode thinking that, Hey, it's Tuesday and gosh, we got to tell you, you know, next Monday. Uh, but that's the reality of things right now. And we do try to adjust, um, get into lower cars and, you know, if we can move appointment back, some are flexible and everything like that. But I, I hate to 
bump things back on account of a new appointment after somebody else called on the prior, you know, after the prior person made, you know, even if they have flexibility for two or three days, I still don't like to use up that two or three days because you never know what's going to happen. Um, so we don't like to bump things back, but it's a definite reality right now where things like shuffling schedule around is, is definitely happening a lot. And going back to the way that we schedule things, I don't know how we would handle it. You know, how I could, how some shops dispatch work off of first in first out kind of thing. And I just, I don't know how, how that would work for us and be, be able to do what we do with four texts in the back and having a scheduling situation like that. So if you started, you know, from when you actually were, were full auto vitals, what are your top things that somebody can do to go ahead and reduce that time frame it took to go ahead and get from, you know, when you first got into auto vitals to where you are today? Interesting question. Um, the things. We have three minutes. Yeah. So the things that would probably. Um, no pressure. May help other shops is that we've kind of like our shop and john shop and frank shop and you know all these other people that have been with auto vitals for so long like we have um have definitely like streamlined the software as a whole so not specifically taking credit for it because auto vitals has obviously made things happen you know along that transition um that you know based off of what we kind of dreamed up and everything like that so as far as that goes like for a new shop joining auto vitals is um understanding that some really good shops have been through all this. So if there's certain features or requests or anything like that, that you don't feel are valuable, they probably are because that's, <laughs> we've started with it for six years now and this is what we feel is valuable and we're, we're doing pretty good. So, you know, potentially looking at that as a new shop as there's things that are more helpful for them today that we didn't have five or six years ago. And that's to no fault of auto miles. It's just the progress of the way that the software is, has taken from before to now. Um, so and and we learn from each other, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely, just, absolutely. It was it was an amazing uh, process of uh, learning and Facebook chats at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. It didn't matter. Absolutely. And 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 and, and, and iteration to until it worked. No. And because no, the industry is always changing, still. we're still learning. Exactly. Exactly. So embracing new ideas and new concepts, um, things like having a, a production manager, you know, or whatever it might be, is just try it, you know, like try it for a month, you know, those types of things, instead of being resistant to some of those things that might be helpful to you as a shop that I was probably resistant for five or six years in a lot of different aspects. Um, the pricing structure that my fellow business partners or whatever you want to say for the first five, six years of a business, things that kind of slowed our growth down there um, is for any shop today is like learning that, okay, embrace these differences. Even if you don't think that you're, you could benefit from it, just try it. And if you find out in a week or a month, that's not going to work for you. That's fine. But at least just uh, at least give it a chance. Wow, isn't that an awesome closure? <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to 
I would love to take another hour. Maybe we have to, maybe we do something like the following. If John and Frank and you are okay, we just do another meeting and, you know, what have we learned over the last five years? How is your today's workflow? So we, so we learn the differences, but also how the fundamentals are the same. Maybe we turn that into another. Um, or how episode. having people like that network together, you know, as, right. as a group to go and understand what they're doing, that'd be highly valuable. Yeah. For so sure. Adam, we're at the end here. I'd really like to thank you. That's a, a lot of really great information there. Um, for those of you that um, always, um, I would like to encourage you to autovitals.com forward slash radio to join us live. If you can't and you want to listen to us on a podcast, just search for the digital shop talk and on your favorite platform and download it and use it. And then, um, like I said, um, I always say this is find somebody else in your trade area that might be struggling a little bit that could really use some of the information we have. There's a whole warehouse of episodes to work with there. You know, share one with them or, or have them join you live. And, um, you know, let's see if we can help them out also. So once again, uh, thank you. Uh, everybody is here attending with us um, and go out and make some money. Yeah, absolutely. If I could add one thing as the guys are guys and gals aside is uh, the shops that have kind of, you know, feel like they just can't get past some of those hurdles and whether it be a financial situation where you can't hire another person that's not, um, those are the shops that are very much like us and what we've been through. So there's a soft spot for me for sure. So reach out, you know, cause we're, we're no different than a lot of other shops that were, or we were no different than a lot of shops that are potentially struggling with different things today. And if we can be a soundboard to bounce different ideas off of or anything like that, without a doubt, we, we'd be certainly happy to help. So if Adam can do it, anybody can do it, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there you go. Motivated and, you know, it's you can't, never give up. Can't expect it to happen. You got to be motivated and never give up and then back against the wall attitude that we had that survival mode attitude and where we took it from where it was then to today is as uh you know sometimes gives you goosebumps when you think about it awesome oh yeah thank you adam was For sure. awesome. absolutely thank you guys bye guys <laughs>